This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter. Mixed martial arts enthusiasts, welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. And man, we had a lot of really big fight announcements in the last couple of days. Not to mention this Saturday, a stacked slate of mixed martial arts. You've got Bellator 290. And then later in the evening, for those uh, that want to stay up pretty late here on the East Coast, we've got UFC Fight Night, Lewis versus Spivak. We're going to get to all of that on this week's show, not to mention some great interviews at the end to tee up this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. Let's get started, of course, with the biggest announcement recently from last week. We heard that the UFC have finalized two very big fights for UFC 287, which looks like it's going to be held potentially in Miami, which I think is awesome. The UFC haven't done a pay-per-view in Miami in a long, long time. And not to mention, I'll have a place to stay down there. My parents have a place down there. So maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll take an extended trip. Eh, probably not. Too much work to do. And of course, Miami, you know, if I can stay there, though, during the winter. Eh, it's not really the winter anymore, actually, at that point. It's the beginning of April, spring. So I'm okay to be in Canada during that time. I don't need to go uh, all snowbird at that point in time. But we do have two big fights. Let's get right to them. The rematch. Alex Pereira facing Israel Adesanya for the second time in MMA and the fourth time in combat sports, if you count their two previous kickboxing outings. This is the, the, the final boss for Israel Adesanya, the man who has plagued him in terms of losses over the course of his combat sports career. He's going to try for a fourth time to defeat the man who he has been unable to best thus far. I can't wait for that fight. And then the co-main event, this is another good one, Gilbert Burns taking on Jorge Masvidal in the co-main event. That's a fun one. Um, I think early odds have Gilbert as a big favorite there, but and I can understand why, but man, Jorge Masvidal is always game, and he's fought the best of the best over the last couple of years. That trend will continue when he faces Gilbert Burns, um, potentially in his backyard if this card does end up in the 305. So big news on that front. And I think they also added uh, another big fight on that card, which was Kevin Holland against Santiago Ponzinibbio. I love that, that one as well. So a lot to like for UFC 286. And of course, they finalized some other bouts that have been previously rumored, including Valentina Shevchenko against Alexa Grasso on the UFC 285 card, uh, which takes place in Las Vegas at the beginning of March. And uh, they, of course, announced formally announced Surreal Gone against John Jones for the vacant heavyweight championship. For whatever reason, it's being billed as Jones versus Gone. It's not Jones versus Gone. It's Gone versus Jones. I know Jones is the bigger name, but we base it on the rankings. And Gone is the number one ranked heavyweight, and Jones is unranked. So we can't just make an exception in this one case because Jones is the bigger name. That's not the way it works. When Bisping was the middleweight champion, did they do, what was it, UFC? I forget what number it was. 215, maybe? No, it wasn't 215. That was in Edmonton. 217? Yeah, UFC 217. Did they do, do UFC 217 St. Pierre versus... Bisping, because St. Pierre, of course, is a legend and one of the longest reigning champions ever. No, they didn't do that. So you gotta you gotta go, and I know that's a champion, it's a little bit different, but you gotta go based on, on the hierarchy, the meritocracy, so to speak. Not that there's I mean, you can call it meritocracy, but the best heavyweight in the world right now uh, seems to be going elsewhere. So either way, they will com- compete to become the UFC's best heavyweight currently on the roster. Um, no disrespect to the UFC. I mean, listen, Surreal Gone was like a round away from beating Francis Ngannou. And we don't know what would have happened with Jones and Ngannou, but we got to work with what we got. Don't we? We sure do. 
So those were the big fight announcements, and uh, I'm very excited for them. I mean, I think that April card has the makings of being something great. And, you know, you start to look at how the year is coming together, and uh, you look at the championship pictures, and a lot of the matchups have been made. I know Zhang Wei Li wanted to wait until summer to make her first uh, title defense in her most recent reign as champion. So we'll see where that ends up falling. Um, not a ton of movement right now in the women's bantamweight division, as there's now a rumored fight between Irene Aldana and Raquel Pennington that may headline their San Antonio card in late March. But we don't know what's happening with Amanda Nunes, and of course that also puts the 45 division in limbo. And then on the men's side, Brandon Moreno just uh, won his fight against Figueredo. I don't know um, how soon he'll defend it, but he's typically been pretty active. And I think him versus Pantoja is a fight that they could probably target for May or June. Then you've got the bantamweights. It looks like Aljamain Sterling is going to get stem cell surgery in Colombia. So if he does that, uh, I expect he'll be out for a little bit, but uh, potentially ready for May or June. We'll see whether it's against Sean O'Malley or Henry Cejudo. I guess we'll find out. I think Cejudo is probably the front runner at this point in time. The featherweight championship is kind of in limbo, but we have the interim bout between Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett. So the winner of that fight should be facing Alexander Volkanovsky next, but that is also, I think, contingent on what happens with Volkanovsky versus Makhachev because he could end up becoming a two-division champion. We'll, we'll have to find out how that plays out. And then, uh, of course, we've got the welterweight division, which will be contested at UFC 286 in London. We've got the middleweight uh, championship, which we just talked about, the light heavyweight championship, Jamal Hill. We don't know if he's going to be facing um, Yuri Prokhashka next. Not exactly sure what his timetable for recovery is, but it seemed like it was going to be probably nine months to a year. So I'd be surprised if he's ready to go in July or something like that. I would not be shocked to see Ankalaev get a shot or something along those lines for the time being. People keep talking about Anthony Smith getting the shot. And I think Anthony Smith is a great fighter, a great analyst, but how could you have him bypass Ankalaev, who just beat him? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. You had Ankalaev not lose to Jan Blahovic, but draw with Jan Blahovic in a fight where most people thought he won. And you want Anthony Smith to bypass him? I think that doesn't make any sense. People talk about what's a bigger fight. Like, how many more buys does Hill versus Smith do than Hill versus Ankalaev? Like, I think that's negligible at best. So we'll see how that one plays out. And, uh, of course, I mentioned the heavyweight championship. So that's where our divisions stand right now in terms of fights. So you look at May, June, July. Like, I think July could be the return of Conor, but... We also heard USADA say that they would like him to be in the pool for at least six months before he competes again. And he has not been tested thus far in 2023. If you look at the USADA testing database, he still has not registered a sample uh, in Q1 yet this year. Now, of course, it is early in the year, but as we know, July, or like early July is when International Fight Week happens. And... That would have had to be, he would have had to be re-registered in the pool like early this month if that's the way it was going to play out. But of course, they, you know, they also have that policy where the UFC could just kind of override it anyways. So let's see how that, how that plays out because uh, 
I think that's probably what they're going to be targeting for the summer. They're talking about how this is the 30th year for the UFC and they want to do big things. Well, not a whole lot bigger than Conor McGregor's return right now in terms of uh, hype and things you can do to, to generate uh, a nice gate and some buys and, and all of that jazz. So that's where we're at right now in terms of how things are stacking up. But yeah, there's not a whole lot of championship um, opportunities really beyond April. I, you know, We have to see, again, how those ones play out. Now, in terms of uh, another big fight that was uh, reported by Brett Okamoto is Max Holloway coming back and facing Arnold Allen on April the 15th uh, at a location TBD. That's exciting. Like, uh, I don't know where that one's going to be, but sign me anytime Max Holloway fights, it's awesome. And it's good that he took close to a year off between his fight with uh, Volkanovski and, and now. I think that he probably needed that. He's been had a pretty busy career, and I think he needed to hit the reset button a little bit uh, before coming back. And I think Arnold Allen's a great test for him coming back. I think he'll be a favorite in that fight. Um, I think the expectation is that he'll win that fight. But uh, Arnold Allen has not uh, lost yet in the UFC. He has great fight IQ, has been getting better and better. And I think that's a really interesting fight. So we'll see uh, what ends up happening with that particular bout when, when it comes to be. Uh, hasn't been officially announced yet, but I am looking forward to that one. And in terms of the upcoming UFC schedule, this weekend aside, which I think a lot of people can agree is uh, kind of a strange card, kind of reminds me of those old cards back in the day when they launched Fight Pass and they had cards in like Singapore and uh, and, and you know several other Asian regions that were Fight Pass exclusive cards that featured mostly talent from the region. And I think that's what the intent was here when this card was supposed to take place in Seoul, South Korea. Uh, of course, that has since moved to the uh, UFC Apex and is headlined by Derek Lewis against Sergey Spivak. Now, interesting note on Derek Lewis. The last time that he lost a Fight Night main event, so he's lost a lot of fights on pay-per-views recently. The last time he lost a Fight Night main event was against uh, Junior Dos Santos like three years ago. Sorry, four years ago. That's the last time he lost a Fight Night main event. So he typically does well in these spots where he's kind of the gatekeeper. Beat Chris Dawkins, beat Curtis Blades, beat Alexei Olenek, uh, all since the start of the pandemic. And now he returns... Uh, he is, I believe, undefeated at the UFC Apex. So let's see how he does. It seems like maybe, you know, he's talked about the pressure of fighting in his home state where he's fought in, in his last three that he's lost have all taken place in the state of Texas, two in Houston, one in Dallas. So he doesn't like the pressure. He's talked openly about that. And now he's heading back to a, a building that's not going to have a lot of fans. And I think that's a, an exciting uh, proposition for him because he's done very well under these circumstances before. So looking forward to seeing what he can do. And also, uh, Sergey Spivak is certainly no pushover. He's looked great. 28 years old, uh, actually turning 20, actually just turned 28 years old, rather. Um, and man, he's been on a, a roll lately. Um, but, you know, the quality of the wins. Here's basically his last five. Went over Carlos Felipe, went over Jared Vandera, went over Alexei Olenek. We're, you know, not, not necessarily big names there. He uh, lost to Tom Aspinall. That was a great uh, test for both those guys, but lost in the first round. And then subsequent wins, a knockout TKO win rather over Greg Hardy and TKO win over Augusto Sakai in his last one. So he's been coming into his own uh, in 2022, and now he looks to continue that, um, having a, a pretty big matchup with uh, Derek Lewis. That's, a, that's a, a good one for him. I think that uh, that's the kind of fight that um, 
he can really elevate himself in. But, you know, at the expense of Derek Lewis, I don't know. And the odds route for this one, you've got Spivak minus 250, Lewis plus 190. Now, this is an interesting one because the, uh, the Lewis TKO prop is plus 240. And the Spivak submission prop is plus 360. Now, the Spivak KO prop is plus 135, but I, I feel like you could go play both sides of the fence here and take Lewis by TKO slash KO at plus 240 and take Spivak by submission at plus 360. I think those are the most likely ways that this fight ends. Um, but, I mean, you can also take Lewis round one plus 750. That's a pretty big number. I might go with that. I'm going to be making a recommended play. I mean, Lewis still has that big power. And if you're looking at Spivak, like, he looked good, but who is he facing? And no disrespect, I think Augusto Sakai is a really solid fighter, but, I mean, Derek Lewis has not been any man's doormat when it comes to, you know, young upstarts trying to move up the rank, for the most part. I mean, there, there have been exceptions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, let's see what Lewis still has left in the tank, right? I mean, not great that he's lost three of his last four, but at the same time, who's he lost to? Tough, tough guys. If you look at uh, his recent history, we've got, of course, a loss in his last fight to uh, Sergei Pavlovich, who looks like an absolute hammer right now, who, who just crushed Tai Tuivasa, I believe, in, uh, in under a minute. Lost to Tuivasa, aforementioned Tuivasa. But Chris Dawkins is a good situation. Like, this is a good comparable. Not necessarily in style, but in terms of the, the, the situation... Chris Dawkins, before he fought Derek Lewis, had won four in a row in the UFC and looked like he was coming on. He was favored in that fight, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see. Let me double-check that, but pretty certain he was favored in that fight. Yeah, he was a small favorite. And Lewis dispatched him early. So, I mean, unless Sergey Spivak's able to get this to the ground, I don't see him being able to just knock out Derek Lewis clean on the feet unless Derek Lewis's chin is completely diminished. Um, Derek Lewis turning 38 years old in uh, about a week's time. So he's been around. But uh, this is an interesting one. I think this is a more interesting main event than meets the eye here. Because I think that uh, Derek Lewis, you know, has a a very good shot of beating Spivak, better than the odds indicate. The co-main event is in the light heavyweight division. You got Da Eun-jung taking on Devin Clark. Da Eun-jung is a minus 260 favorite with a comeback on Clark being plus 196. And uh, Devin Clark's had a bit of a, a rough run of late. He's lost three of four. Losses to uh, Anthony Smith, Iwan Kutelaba, and Azamat Mirzakhanov in his last fight. And they win at heavyweight over William Knight uh, in April of 2022. So um, let's see how Devin Clark looks against Da Eun-jung, who lost his last fight to uh, Dustin Jacoby but uh, otherwise is unbeaten in the UFC. Interesting matchup uh, in the co-main event. And then you've got, uh, I'm surprised this isn't the co-main event, you've got Martin Tybura taking on Blagoy Ivanov. Um, Ivanov, a small underdog at plus 120, Tybura the favorite at minus 154, uh, odds provided by the fine folks at FanDuel. And uh, Tybura has been on something of a roll. I mean, this is kind of weird because Tybura just beat Alexander Romanov. Probably the best performance uh, of his career given the opposition. I think Romanov was a massive favorite in that fight. 
wins that fight. Then Romanov gets matched up with Alexander Volkov, who's ranked higher than Blagoy. So they gave the you know bigger profile, higher ranked opponent to the guy that just lost to Tybura. Not to mention a pretty good stylistic matchup for Romanov. But uh, Blagoy is like one of the toughest outs in the UFC. I don't know if he's ever been finished, has he? I guess he's been subbed once. He's never been knocked out. He was subbed actually by Alexander Volkov in Bellator nearly 10 years ago. That's the last time he's been stopped in a fight. His fights tend to go to a decision. I'm curious whether the uh, odds on this going to a decision would be. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's see. Fight goes to the decision minus 200 for a heavyweight fight. Whew. I mean, hey, historically speaking, that's the way that uh, this one would lean. Duho Choi is minus 180. Kyle Nelson plus 140. We've got the, the second Canadian in a row for Duho Choi. He did not fare well against the last one, Charles Jordan. And uh, Kyle Nelson, uh, plus 140 underdog to Choi's minus 180. I'm just very curious to see where Choi's at. He has not looked himself, or at least, you know, the Korean Superboy that everybody thought was going to be a champion or content- compete for a championship one day. He hasn't looked like that in, in some time. So I'm very curious to see um, how he looks in this one. Uh, I think it's going to say a lot about where he's at in his career. Uh, you've got Yusaku Kinoshida is a minus 340 favorite against Adam Fugit. Uh, Kinoshida looks great on a contender series. Um, I think probably a rightful favorite in this situation. And then you've got four fights in a row that are the finale, or the finals, I guess, of the Road to the UFC tournament. Um, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to watch all of the tournaments, so I'm going to reserve giving me you any sort of opinion on these because it would not be an educated opinion. Um, I'm going to be doing more research on this, these fights as the week goes on, but uh, right now, I can just tell you the odds. You've got uh, Jekka Saragi, who is from Indonesia, minus 104 underdog to Anshul Jubli from India, minus 122. You've got Lee Jiongyong, minus 280 against Yi Jia, who's plus 210. You've got Rinya Nakamura, minus 480 against Toshiomi Kazama, who's plus 330. And then you've got Hyun Sung Park at minus 215 against Sung Guk Choi, who's plus 164. So those are the road to the UFC fights. And then we've got three more. We've got uh, Ji Yeon Kim is a minus 295 favorite against Mandy Baum, who's plus 220. You know, Ji Yeon Kim has gotten a lot of kind of bad beats in her uh, UFC career thus far. She uh, has lost four in a row. One was a split decision that I, I think she, you could have made a case she won. And then three unanimous decisions prior to that. So not to mention that her opponent missed weight in the last one. And, uh, you know, she's a pretty big favorite here against Mandy Bohm. I think rightfully so. But, I mean, if you're willing to lay that kind of a price on someone who's lost four straight, I mean, more power to you. But I won't be doing that. I wouldn't be recommending that. That's for sure. You've got Jun Young Park, the Iron Turtle. He's in action as a minus 215 favorite against Dennis Chululin, who's plus 164. I, I think Chululin deserves a bit of a fair shake here. Like, I think that he could potentially hang in this situation. I, I, obviously, he came in on short notice and fought Jamie Pickett in his... Uh, sorry, uh, his second fight, rather, was against Jamie Pickett. How did he do in that fight? I'm just going to look. I'm having trouble remembering that fight. 
So he ended up getting a win there. So, so, so he beat Jamie Pickett. So he has gotten a win in the UFC. Um, he did have short notice against Ali Ashkab Kizriyev, uh, who ended up beating him. Kizriyev's kind of an underrated hammer, to be perfectly honest. But uh, Jun Yong Park is a tough guy. Takes you down. Makes your life miserable. We'll see if he's able to do that to Cholulan. And uh, one of my favorite prospects in the UFC, Tatsuro Taira, is back in action. Um, and he is taking on Jesus Santos Aguilar, who I uh, admittedly don't know much about. But uh, he's a sizable favorite, is Tyra, at minus 1,400, one of the bigger favorites in uh, recent UFC memory. So um, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but I think Tyra probably gets it done here. That said, I mean... If I go and look at the card and uh, take a look at the background of Aguilar, maybe people are just betting on Tyra and steaming his number up because they don't know anything about his opponent. Let's look into Jesus Aguilar. So his lone loss was in his debut. And he has a win on the Contender Series against Arison Fejeja. Um, so his, the guys he's beaten have been good. He's beaten, he beat, uh, Jaime Alvarez, who was, uh, ultimate fighter, uh, undefeated, uh, or sorry, ultimate fighter champions edition, um, content, uh, competitor beat him back in 2021. So that's like, a, that's a quality win. And, uh, Christian, uh, Barraza, in Combate Global. So he, they matched him against tough guys in Combate Global. Except since he fight, fought Barraza, Barraza has gone 2-5. and five And is fight, seemingly fighting every weekend. <laughs> you look at how active this guy's been. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Tyra's going to be a very tough opponent for him. But good record, 8-1, and one, and uh, Tyra's 12-0. and 0, So let's see what he brings to the table. But uh, those kind of odds are, are pretty difficult under these circumstances. All right, let's move on. Bellator 290 takes place on Saturday as well. This is a great card. It's in Inglewood, California, and is expected to be the swan song of one Fyodor Emelianenko, who is taking on Ryan Bader. He could leave the cage as the Bellator heavyweight champion and call it a day. Just turned 46 back in September. I guess that's not just, but you know what I mean. And is coming off of back-to-back wins over Timothy Johnson and Quinton Rampage Jackson. His previous loss was to Bader in Inglewood, California in 35 seconds. So in the, in the very same building. Also for the, Bantam, the Bellator Heavyweight Championship. So this is like almost an exact rematch four years later. Almost to the day. So let's see what Fedor has left in the can. Uh, I imagine that the odds in this one are not very favorable towards uh, the old warhorse, Fedor Emelianenko. Yeah, Bader minus 320, Fedor plus 245. And then in the Comey event, you got Johnny Eblen making his very first middleweight title defense against Anatoly Tokov. Eblen is a minus 204 favorite in that one. Um, this is going to be an interesting situation because... Uh, yeah, let's see how good Eblin is. Anatoly Tokov is no joke. And I think that's uh, a really interesting fight for Eblin. He is, uh, you know, they call him the human cheat code for a reason. And it's uh, because 
he's been on an absolute roll and has not lost. Tokov, of course, uh, something of a veteran in the sport, but only 32 years of age, uh, turning 33 very soon. 31-3 and record. And he is beating a lot of tough guys along the way. If you look at his recent wins, all top opponents. Like, this is a guy who's been... And if you look at the win streak that he had prior to his loss to Ramazan Emiev in M1, like, how many of us? Geez, this guy's been on an absolute roll. So, since 2012, almost 11 years ago, because it was April 2012. Or, sorry, 2022, rather. No, 2012, sorry. Let me, let me start that over. April 22nd, 2012. So, uh, nearly 11 years ago. He has won 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24 of his last 25 fights. This guy's on an absolute terror right now. So we'll see how he can do against uh, Johnny Eblen, who, of course, has never lost and is looking like he's getting better and better with each fight. And then you've got Eblen's teammate, Sabah Homasi, taking on Brendan Ward. Who? That fight can't be bad. Like, can unless somebody gets hit in the groin or something early, and like the fight ends inconclusively, like that fight's gonna be amazing. So th- that's a three-fight main card, and it's airing on CBS. So this is a big night for Bellator, and they picked a good night too because the uh, UFC is uh, an event that is hosting an event that airs later in the night. So they're basically gonna be running nearly unopposed. I'm sure that the uh, the prelims, the UFC prelims, will conflict with. Uh, Bellator. So um, if you are in Canada, you can watch Bellator both on CBS and I believe also on YouTube. Um, so you have two options there. And even the prelim is quite good. Like, here's some of the names on the prelims. You got Neiman Gracie, Lorenz Larkin, uh, Henry Corrales, Ali Asayev, Steve Mowry. Like, these are all great fighters. Max Roshkoff against Chris Gonzalez. Great matchup. You got Grant Neal taking on Carl Albertson. Like, these are these are solid fighters. Alejandro Lara... Is on the uh, it's on the Darion Caldwell, their former champions, four fights from the bottom. Jornel Lugo versus Jalen Bates. It's a great fight. So there are a lot of really really good bouts um, for Bellator on Saturday. So would recommend uh, you watch both that and the UFC. Just go back to back. That's what I'm going to be doing. Saturday's kind of a write off for me. I mean, I'll have the day, but Saturday night we're going to be going to be up to the late eight hours. I'm going to be having a coffee at like 10.30 at night. It's going to be like when I'm covering a card in Vegas with my 7.30 Pacific coffee. But since I'm on the East Coast, it'll be 10.30. So I can stay up for that 1 a.m. main card for the UFC. How many fights are on that main card? Good grief. I have five fights on the main card and it starts at 1 a.m. I'm not going to complain. If you're in Europe, this is your week every Saturday. So I'm, I'm standing in solidarity with my brothers and sisters in Europe, who every week have to do this. Also, big news for this UFC card. Uh, Laura Sanko is going to become the first female UFC color commentary in the modern era of the UFC to uh, call a fight. And uh, I want to congratulate Laura. This has been her dream for such a long time. And uh, to get to live it out is just not much more you can say. It's like, it's unbelievable. So... Good for uh, good for Laura. Very very happy for her. She's worked super hard to uh, to get into this position. So uh, kudos to her. It's awesome. 
I look forward to hearing her do her thing. I mean, she, we've heard it already. We've heard her on the road to the UFC uh, tournament in uh, the Contender Series. We know what she brings to the table. She's great. So it's uh, only fitting that she gets this opportunity. And that is uh, our preview for this week's Mixed Martial Arts cards that are uh, are coming up. Very excited for all of them. Now, in terms of uh, recent news, Conor McGregor came out and said that he's been asked to coach the Ultimate Fighter and is likely, it seems likely, is going to be coaching the Ultimate Fighter, which is, I think, will breathe some a real breath of fresh air into the uh, show itself. I can't even remember who last season's coaches were. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of even who won. Oh, okay. It was Juliana Miller won. I remember she won. So it was Amanda Nunes and Pena were the coaches on last year's show. Okay, I remember now. It's all, it's all coming back to me. But even still, I can't even... I'm trying to remember who the male winner was. I don't even know. Oh, it was uh, Mohamed Usman. Okay, I'm remembering stuff. It's all coming to me now. I'm picturing the jerseys. I'm picturing the coaches. So two uh, Team Pena winners on that uh, particular show. So let's see what ends up happening uh, for the Ultimate Fighter. I would guess that Michael Chandler is going to be the opposing coach. I think that's a great comeback fight for Conor, um, stylistically. Uh, though that said, if, uh, if, if Chandler implements a wrestling game plan, can avoid getting hit in the first minute, could be a long night for Conor McGregor. That's a tough matchup. But one that I think is fitting to see where he's at right now. Guy that I believe is pro- probably roughly around the same age as him. High level. I think Chandler is still ranked in the top five or thereabout. So it would be a nice palate cleanser for him if he's going to actually start talking about fighting for the championship at some point in time. I mean, if he beats Michael Chandler, would you be shocked to see him get a championship fight? I wouldn't. If it were me, I know that they've talked about Benil Dariush uh, fighting against Charles Oliveira in May. I would have him coach against Oliveira. Like I, I think Oliveira right now versus um, McGregor would be a, an interesting fight. Put Charles in there. Just have you know McGregor do his the same stuff he did to jo- Jose Aldo and try to do that to Charles Oliveira. Just try to torment him for a season. Because I don't think anything Conor does is going to get under the skin of Michael Chandler. For the most part. But you never know. Conor's, if anybody can get under someone's skin, Conor McGregor's probably that guy. But what uh, what new life that would breathe into that franchise because it certainly needs it, um, and I'm uh, I'm very excited to see if they put that on ABC or you know ESPN uh, proper. I think that would be very interesting. All right, we're gonna get to some interviews now to wrap this baby up. First, we will be speaking to from this weekend's UFC card. The lone Canadian on the card, Kyle Nelson, and uh, Devin Clark will also be joining us. So let's get right into that. Thank you for tuning in. Appreciate you. And uh, let's get started with Sergey Spivak here on the TSN MMA show. It was the co-main event. Now it's not the co-main event. It wasn't Seoul, South Korea. Now it's in Vegas. Who knows what's going on with Kyle Nelson? Aside from the opponent, that has not changed. Duho Choi... This Saturday, did any of those changes affect you in terms of the lead up to this fight? No, not at all. 
like, you know, South Korea would have definitely been cool and I was getting prepared for that. But Vegas is much easier for the time change, the flight. You know, I've, I've spent a ton of time here in Vegas between training and fighting and cornering and stuff. So Vegas is basically my second home now. So this is probably a lot easier than uh, South Korea would have ended up being. And for this particular card, it's probably better not to be the co-main event because of the time that it starts. 1 a.m. main card start, uh, start despite being in Las Vegas. That is, of course, Eastern time. But what time do you expect you're going to be walking to the cage on Sunday night uh, local time? Saturday night, rather. Yeah, so they said, um, yeah, like 10.30 p.m. here, which would be 1.30 p.m. Eastern time. I mean, 1.30 a.m., sorry, Eastern and do you think that time will work for you? I'm sure you're probably just getting adjusted to the uh, local time, and that will probably make it an easier transition. Uh, we already started, uh, like, I can't remember exactly what it was called, basically planning my sleep around competing at uh, at 1 or 2 in the morning. So we started this uh, over a week ago. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be ready to, to perform at my best at 1 a.m. I saw an interview that you did with James Lynch. This is actually going to be the first time that your wife corners you for an event. So how did that come to be? Yeah, I mean, she's been instrumental in this whole training camp, and it's been, uh, you know, it's it's been a great cut. She's been super helpful with all my nutrition and everything leading up to it. And she was going to come to uh, to South Korea, and then obviously down here with me uh, to Vegas, and then with the the event being at the UFC um, Apex, there isn't really any seats or anything for anyone to sit in, uh, so she couldn't really come in and watch the fight. Uh, live and I only had my two cornermen, uh, my head coach Alin Halmagine and my wrestling coach Adrian Woolley. So we had a third spot. So I was like, you know, who better to have in there than my life partner? Yeah. So I should clarify: this is your fiance, right? Not your wife. Yeah, fiance. Yeah, we're working on that that marriage part. I was gonna say maybe Elvis could wear, marry you guys after the wedding. You just kind of drive down the strip and, uh, and get it all sorted out. Yeah, exactly. Fifty boxes is all done. <laughs> I'm sure your extended family would appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's probably not going to happen. But Duho Choi, this is a guy who for years was considered an uber prospect. A lot of people thought one day this guy's going to fight for a championship. Obviously, he's stumbled in his career a bit. He's been fairly inactive. I think this is his first fight since he last fought a Canadian featherweight named Charles Jordan about three years ago. When you go back and watch footage of Duho Choi, do you have to go into this fight expecting that we're going to see the Duho Choi that had all that fanfare at one point. Yeah, yeah, at least, if uh, if not better. I think he's right. you know, he hasn't been sitting on his couch these last three years, right? So I'm sure he's spent time uh, improving over the last three years, so I'd expect uh, a version of Superboy. So I'm excited for that because I think I'm going to put on a better show. When you went back and watched a lot of his older fights, were you like, wow, this guy's awesome? Like, did you, did you get the same feeling that people got back when people did expect him to be this kind of, you know, upward trajectory type prospect? I definitely recognize, you know, what he's good at. I remember, like, watching, especially his fight with Cobb Swanson live way back when I I'd never thought about fighting him. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was super entertaining. Now, watching it through kind of a different lens, I can appreciate the stuff he's good at. But I can also kind of pick apart, you know, the the spots that I think I'm really going to be able to take advantage of. Were you at that fight? It was a UFC 206, I believe, in uh, December at the Air Canada, then known as the Air Canada Center. Uh, no, no, I wasn't live for that one, unfortunately. 
yeah, that fight ended up being in the Hall of Fame. So it would have been a, a good one to get to. Had, had you gone to any UFC fights before you fought in the UFC? I made it to one UFC fight, and it was the Jones versus Alexander Gustafson one fight. Yeah, considered by many to be one of the greatest fights of all time. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a you know it was a great fight to watch live. So what's going through your mind when you're watching that fight in person, knowing that you're on the course or might have already started becoming a professional mixed martial artist? It was interesting, like obviously the UFC, you're getting kind of the biggest stage so like the fans um especially you know at the eric can arena and now it's a scotia bank um i also went there with my fiance not long ago for luke coombs concert um and that was interesting because I'd, I'd fought there a few years ago like 2018 and then to go back and actually sit in the crowd afterwards and just see how many people are actually there and you know when people get cheering and going all the energy and stuff so it's definitely cool to see it from that side of things yeah, when I was at the uh, Jones versus Gustafson fight, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of trying to picture what it would be like to walk out during that, um, you know, with that crowd and, and the atmosphere and stuff. But I've found it's been a, a much easier transition than I think it ever would have been or ever would have thought it would have been uh, fighting in front of huge crowds. And I should mention, your fight at the that, that same arena was against uh, Diego Ferreira about what? 20 days after you had fought in Romania, you came back, you got the call, and, and there you are fighting in a massive arena, you know, a short time later. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it was like three or four days notice. So it was just kind of, it was like all a blur, really, you know, cut a bunch of weight. Um, you know, I had to travel down to the States to get a bunch of medicals done. And uh, yeah, so those three days that I had notice was, it was kind of a blur. How did you feel going into your last fight? About a two-year layoff. Your opponent this time around is going to have about a three-year layoff. You know, when you when you walked to the cage after all that time away, how did it feel? And, and how did you feel in that fight in particular? I felt great. Again, that fight was up at 155, so the weight cut was easier. Um, but now this fight at 145, we've had, you know, enough notice that this weight cut was probably even easier than the weight cut to 155. But... Uh, I didn't notice the layoff much going into the fight or even in the fight. It wasn't until after kind of with the hindsight thinking, you know, I think old me or, you know, me when I've, I've fought consistently, I think I would have been a lot more aggressive in that fight. Uh, I, I was up on the scorecards. I was kind of, you know, sitting back, like taking my foot off the gas pedal a little bit just cause I, you know, I felt like I was doing great. I was, I was out landing. Um, you know, I felt like I was winning all the grappling exchanges except the the one grappling exchange at the end where I, I uh, kind of messed up that takedown and, and landed on the bottom. But other than that, I felt like I won pretty much every exchange and I won, I thought, every round until that third. So, yeah, I just got a little too complacent, took my foot off the gas, which is really something that, you know, I would have ever done before. So uh, I think that's just kind of just a little bit of a mindset thing, taking some time off, getting back in there, being a little too comfortable. Um, I think a bunch of stuff kind of compiled on that one, but, you know, coming off of that fight not long ago, I've got that all fresh in my head now. So I'm, I'm excited to put all that stuff that I learned from that one into use. I'm seeing a lot of your posts on social media about how this is the best weight cut you've ever had. Cutting down to 145 for you is a much easier task when you have eight, nine weeks notice going into a fight. So do you consider yourself to be a two-division athlete in the UFC? Like, if they need somebody on short notice, you're only going to do 55, and if you get a good amount of notice, that's when you want to fight at 45? 
Um, yeah, I think we'll see. Like again, this this fight's been this training camp's been so great, and I feel like this fight's going to be my best performance yet. So I'd love to even you know just stick at 45 with the notice and be able to put on you know great fights for the UFC as opposed to you know kind of fall back on some of those short notice fights that I've done before and then scramble to make weight and you know kind of show up and give them you know a round or so of you know excitement and 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 a good fight and then kind of crash after that so uh we'll see how this fight goes but hopefully we can just you know keep the ball rolling the UFC to start lining me up fights you know I can stay you know a little bit closer to the 145 division and uh yeah just hammer out a bunch of wins you talked about in your last fight about um the, the layoff and now tell me if you agree with this I think that one of the things that are kind of overlooked about layoffs is when you actually get in there I mean, the, the, the primal instinct kind of takes over. So all of the work that you do on strategy and things like that, it's hard to emulate the emotions of a real actual bout as opposed to, uh, you know, in sparring. So do you think that might have been the issue for you is that the strategy side kind of goes away during a fight and the primal side takes over where you're kind of fighting for your life in there? Is that how it felt in your last fight? I think it was actually probably the opposite of that. I think if I had gone a little more primal, um, I would have, you know, come forward a little bit more aggressively and, and landed some big shots and put Herbert away. This fight, um, I, I, with my sparring and stuff, I mean, I've, I've done, I've competed a lot from, you know, kickboxing, MMA, jiu-jitsu. So I, I can do a really good job of kind of putting myself in the scenario before sparring. Like I can, I can kind of picture myself walking down to the ring and kind of get in that zone while I'm sparring. So it's, it's very similar to the fight, whereas, Again, this my my last fight. I think it was maybe too um, restrained and focused on the the game plan, and not enough kind of move forward and take this guy's head off. So, how do you flip that switch in this fight? Do you just kind of rely on strategy, knowing that it's built in at this point in time? Yeah, we're just gonna. I think we've really found that happy medium this time with my my training. I've I've really dialed in, kind of how hard I can push without, uh, you know, getting tired of gassing. So now I, I know I'm going to be able to, you know, push to this level um, and I can, can maintain it for three rounds. So with that, I can, you know, I can be aggressive. I can, you know, I can do a lot of damage and stuff and just kind of have that kind of meter in the back of my head telling me, okay, you know what, we're, we're going hundred percent. Now we're going to have to dial back to 95 or 90 for, you know, a minute or two, and then we can step it back up again. But I think that's kind of the biggest progression in my career in general, because, again, before the UFC, I just go out, go 100 percent. Generally, I finish people, didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, going three rounds too often. So whereas when I got in the UFC, I did the same thing. But then, you know, some of these tough guys that survived and then I'm getting into the second, third round. And, uh, you know, even though maybe I was beating them technically, then, uh, you know, just like some of the weight cut and maybe, you know, uh, exerting a little too much in the, the fight leading up to that point kind of caught up with me. So I think now that we have that dialed in, you're going to see a much better uh, version of myself. Well, we're very much looking forward to it. And I'll say this, they picked a good week to book your event for you guys to leave Muskoka because it's going to be very cold by the time we get to week's end. So a uh, good time to be in, in the desert heat, although it is, I guess, a little cool that time of year. Either way, best of luck, Duho Choi, this Saturday, UFC fight night, uh, Spivak versus Lewis. Uh, thank you for doing this. Awesome. Thank you very much. He's in the co-main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card, Devin Clark. 
fighting once again in the light heavyweight division. Uh, always appreciate your time, sir, taking on Da Eun Jung. So this fight has been moved around a lot of times. You recently found out you were in the co-main event. Does any of that affect your preparation for this fight? Uh, no, same fight, same cage. Uh, so, well, I guess maybe a little different cage if we would have fought in South Korea. That would have been a bigger one. But I like the Apex cage and, and stuff like that. So, uh, no, nah, it doesn't really – it's still the fight, you know, uh, no matter where it's at or fighting. And how many camps will this have been for you in Denver? You train under the great uh, Vinny Lopez, Cody Donovan, that whole crew out in Denver. This is my third camp with them uh, and one of my best camps I've had ever. So I feel like I'm in phenomenal shape. We've worked super hard this camp and, and really put the time in. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've, this is, it was great. And now we're here fight week and ready to go. Yeah, you're in there with some really good bodies. I mean, you've got uh, Curtis Blades. I'm, I'm sure is pushing you day in and day out. Um, who else do you train without in uh, at Team Elevation? Uh, Zach Prauga. Uh, he's fighting in a couple weeks too, um, but he's been my main uh, training partner. And then we have some other guys, Ben Tymon. Um, uh, yeah, it's, we have a good room. Good room. And Zach's moving down to light heavyweight, if I'm not mistaken, or I can't remember. Well, yeah, he's technically moving down, but I feel like he's always been a light heavyweight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because uh, I guess he was on the Ultimate Fighter at heavyweight, but prior to that, on the regional scene, he fought at light heavyweight. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's back home at his weight class. I feel, um, and he's looking great too. Like I said, we've had a great camp, and 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 uh, for both of us and everybody on the team, we've we've really pushed it. And how long do you live in Denver? Are you living in Denver year round now? Uh, no, I still live in South Dakota, so I have a wife and daughter in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, uh, so I just go out to Denver for my fight camps, but I think in total I spent at least two and a half months there, kind of back and forth a little bit, um, but total time, probably a couple months. And one thing that the uh, television viewer looks forward to when there's a Devin Clark fight is your father David in the corner uh, yelling for you. Now, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be in the corner this time around, but is he going to be in attendance? Uh, he's not going to be in the corner. Uh, Zach actually took his spot. Uh, we figured that'd be a good, um, just a good way to start the night and, and being able to train with him before the fight and just get properly warmed up and everything like that. But he will be in attendance at the apex. So he'll probably, everybody will probably hear him more than they usually do. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, cause everybody knows how quiet the apex is and his, you know, he, he doesn't have to be quiet this time because he's not in the corner. Um, so, yeah, you're going to hear him. I need you to tell your dad something, though, before this card. When he is sitting in the apex, like, if there's somebody next to him, he needs to, you know, tell them who he is. Because if they're oh, yeah. sitting next to him during your fight, like, that's going to be a weird situation for them. I think they'll, they'll probably know. And they'll, they'll get the gist once, once he sits down. Um, he's, he's a very talkative guy and likable guy and um you know he gets along with everybody and he uh, i'm sure he'll strike up a conversation and uh let them know right away that it's going to get a little bit loud <laughs> so why do you think that it's going to come across louder on on tv when he's in the crowd versus in the corner uh well in the corner he always tries to be a little bit you know calmer so the coaches can hear and stuff like that but he doesn't really have to worry about that as much when he's in the crowd so he can you know, yell as he pleases and, and root me on for, for, a, uh, for, for a good uh, victory. All right, I've got to know, 
how nervous were you before you told him that you were replacing him in the corner? Uh, a little nervous, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Um, you know, he's always been in my corner, and and you know, it's just a, a super good connection and stuff like that. Uh, but at the, at the same time, him not being right there um, will probably be a stronger. Um, how do I say it? Um, a stronger bond for us. Uh, you know, doing what he wants me to do and, and stuff like that. Like that's how wrestling always went when I was when I was younger, uh, high school, college. You know, he was never Matt side and stuff like that. He was always in the in the crowd and I could hear him. Um, but that motivated me that much more that he wasn't right there. If that makes sense at all, I don't know. But uh, you know, I'm 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 more motivated by his words when he's not right there because I I want to make him proud you know um and when you take you know when he when he's not the coach and he gets to just be my dad that's even stronger so it's gonna feel like a throwback you feel like that's gonna bring you back to i guess your roots of combat sports so to speak roots of winning and whooping butt (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I've, i've i've done a lot of winning my days and he's always been there yelling the whole time uh you know, so yeah, I guess it is a little bit of a throwback. Uh, you know, see a little throwback Devin Clark this weekend. And has he told you how he thinks he's going to feel, I guess, being in the crowd? Like, is he ex- excited about getting to watch from, I guess, the perspective uh, of being a dad instead of a coach? I think so. It's a lot, it'll be a lot more relaxing for him, I think. You know, he has gets to have a couple beers or whatever he wants and, um, and just get to sit there and watch. And of course, he'll get excited. Um, but I, I think it'll be a lot more comfortable for him. And he doesn't have to worry about, you know, pissing off the commission and, and you know, <laughs> doing stuff like that, moving around. He can, he can do what he wants. So. All right. Now, on to your opponent, uh, Da Eun-jung. What can you tell me about him and how you match up with him stylistically? Uh, he's tall from South Korea. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's a good opponent. Uh, he's fair game, fair opponent. Uh, he's got some good striking, a little bit well-rounded, all that. Um, you know, I don't. Yeah, he's he's a good opponent. It's it's it'll be a good win for me. If I if I recall correctly, he I believe has the record for the most ground strikes landed in a single fight. Um, you know, if his strategy is to take you to the ground, it's probably not going to be a a great night for him. Oh, I'm uh, Merry Christmas to me if he does like. Um, we can wrestle, we can wrestle the whole 15 minutes and I'm good with it. I've trained, I, like I said, I've, I've prepared for this fight. I've been disciplined, um, in the, in the grappling and the striking and in the moving. Um, it's going to be a real puzzle for him to figure out, uh, what, what I'm doing. Uh, you know, when he thinks something is going on, something else is already, already cooking in my mind. So. Yeah, I, I think I got that wrong. But he did get eight takedowns against a mutual opponent of yours, William Knight. So, um, yep. yeah, like I said, I think that him trying to wrestle with you is probably not going to be great. And, I mean, your striking has improved so much as well. So this is a, yep. an interesting stylistic matchup for both of you. Yeah. Well, it lets me know that he's scared of power. I mean, if if, if you got to – I think I took William Knight down two times, but I still hung with it on the feet with him um, and with strikes and stuff like that. Uh, so – Obviously, he didn't want the smoke with, with Williams' night power. Um, so thanks for bringing that to my attention because I didn't really quite put that together before all that all that much. Um, so 
yeah, it's something to, to keep in mind. Do you watch a lot of tape on your opponents or do you like to go into it, you know, like it's uh, going to be another man across from you? A little bit. I, I watch a little bit of, of film just to get a good read on them and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I felt uh, sometimes I've overdone it and I get into the film and, and I'm predicting it to be a certain way and, and you know, fighters come out different sometimes and you might not be ready for what he came out differently with. Um, and so like if William Knight would have watched film, uh, on him and, and saw his style, he, he, he probably never thought that he was going to try to take him down the whole time. How much do you think you've gotten better under the tutelage of, uh, Vinny Lopez and Cody Donovan, the other coaches, uh, over at team elevation? Quite a bit, quite a bit. We're trying to get back to my true form. And when I say back, like I'm getting better than I ever was. Uh, just by some simple stuff, simple footwork and, and um, some some mental work and just uh, a lot of focus and, and stuff like that. Just kind of practicing the, the game of fighting. Um, it's before it was it was a little bit separate for me. It wasn't all just fighting. It was, you know, I had my wrestling and my striking. I was trying to get better at striking, trying to get better or boxing, whatever. Um but now it's just I'm getting better at fighting. Uh, we've been able to put it all together, and and we do everything multiple times a day. Uh, so it's not so separate like I had it uh, with with my different wrestling and my different uh, striking practices and stuff like that. It's 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 fighting practice pretty much every time. All right. Well, we're looking forward to it. we're looking forward to hearing your father's booming voice in the apex once more. It's this Saturday. In the co-main event, it's going to be pretty late at night. Is your dad a night owl? Is he going to be okay? It's going to be like 11 p.m. local time there. Oh yeah, he loves being up. Oh, he, yeah, he's, he's a night owl. You could say that. <laughs> All right. Well, it'll be worth uh, us staying up till whatever 3 a.m. on the East Coast here in, in order to uh, enjoy another one of your fights. Thank you for doing this. Look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you. A huge thank you to our guests, Kyle Nelson, and. Mr. Clark himself, not his dad, but Devin Clark, not David Clark, as much as I'd like to speak with David one day. So thank you to everybody who tuned in this week. I really appreciate you. To those tuning in on a TSN radio in Toronto and Ottawa, thank you as well. Uh, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. It's the TSN MMA show. And you can find all of my work at www.aaron.report. So, uh, if there's anything you're looking for, if you want to contact me on social media or see any of my videos, I've been you know, dabbling in TikTok and Instagram lately. So if you want to follow me uh, over there and see what I'm bringing to the table, I would appreciate that as well. So uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Until then, be kind, be well, and be enthusiastic. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.